0: is exalted every knee shall bow to honor him praise the prince of Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: Kiddos, uh, I think uh, Miss Karras has got a uh, junior class prepared for you, so uh, if you want to be dismissed at this time, she has one for you today, and so, all right, open up your Bibles to James chapter number one, James chapter number one this morning, James chapter number one. How many of you were glad whenever you finished high school, amen, and the tests were done, Amen. Uh, and, but some of you, uh, then subjected yourself, uh, to the cruelty of college and, uh, you took more tests. And then some of you subjected yourself to even more uh, schooling. You got a master's degree, and uh, and and um, and then some even go on and subject themselves to doctorates and PhDs and all the rest of the of those kinds of things. And I just told my wife the other day. I said, I don't know what's happening. Maybe I got a lug loose or something like that. But I'm thinking about going back to back to school again. And so, uh, uh, but you know, whenever you finish those tests. Uh, or maybe you get the privilege of giving tests. I, I don't know. Uh, that's always fun too uh, to to give the tests, uh, become a teacher. Um, but whenever you get done, uh, finish when you finish up with tests and uh, you finish all of those. There's a relief. There's a. Oh, I just talked to a guy a couple of days ago who had just graduated from high school, and you can just see the relief. Oh man, so excited, so happy, done with that portion of testing uh, that he was going through. But there's all kinds of tests that we go through and all kinds of tests that we put things through. Uh, and we are tested in life in different intervals, at different ways, and in different times. And, uh, and we're all tested uh, in a different fashion uh, throughout our lives. But uh, you made some tests this morning. You, exp- you, uh, you went ahead and you tested your car. Uh, You stuck the key in the ignition, and you tested it to see if it worked, and uh, you're here, so it did, all right? Uh, Some of you tested, uh, you, you subject, you really, all of you, all of you are just, you are, I mean, you just, you put things through a torturous test every single day, you know that? You subject your refrigerator to work 24-7, 365 days out of the year. I mean, just test it to the limit, don't you? And you expect when you wake up in the morning for your OJ to be cold, don't you? And for your milk to be cold. I mean, you subject things. We subject, in, in Texas, we subject our... AC units, don't we, Luke? To to severe torture tests. I mean, in the summer times, I mean, and uh, I walked into a guy's house the other day, and I thought, how in the world he must be, he must be a member of, of Austin Energy or something, have some kind of inside scoop. I mean, it was literally 62 degrees in the house. It looked like coming out of the AC unit it looked like a river was coming out of the uh, out of the condensation pipe. I mean, it was pouring out of uh, out of there. Uh, I mean, we subject our AC units, we subject, we throw tests at all types of machines. I mean, people have made a living off of YouTube torture testing microwaves and trucks and uh, just a pair of jeans. I mean, of all kinds of things, they do uh, just to put tests on things. And this morning, we want to learn that uh, though we won't be testing microwaves this morning, bummer, right? But I'll let you know that you're going to face tests in your daily walk with Jesus Christ every single day. I know that was a little redundant, but still, you're going to face a consistent test all the time on your faith. And a faith, this has been said, it's not original with me, but a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. Uh, that's really easily proven in the crash car test, right? Every, every car that's on the road right now, I don't care if you're driving a, a, a smart car that you know costs $9,000 or a Kia Rio or you're driving a Lamborghini. Everything has to go through the subjection of a crash test. It has to. Because, of, because if it's not, it cannot be trusted to hold up in an accident. And your faith is the exact same way. My faith in Jesus Christ, a faith that cannot be tested, cannot be trusted. Abraham was tested. He was tested at Mount Moriah in, in Genesis chapter number 22 whenever he comes there. And God tests his faith to see if it's real. Your faith real, Abraham, will you really sacrifice your son, the only son that I've given to you, the son of the promise? Moses' faith is tested whenever he comes between Belzephon and Parhiroth and the Red Sea is before him and the Egyptian armies behind him. And what's Moses going to do? Is he going to listen to God and hold up the rod and go across the Red Sea as he says, or is he going to flounder? Is he going to flake out? Joseph is shipped off to Egypt and in that jail cell uh, for two long years and he has been forgotten by the butler. Is he going to flounder, flake out and forget God and just say, I'm done with this thing or is his faith going to stand up to the test of time? What about your faith? And what about mine? Well, in the book of James, he gives us some simple tests. And I could go on and on about these things. And every one of these is really a sermon in itself. But I just want to hit the highlights. And I want you to write these tests down. There's five of them. There's really six and seven, but I don't have time to get to all of them. But there's five simple tests that come to us, I believe, all throughout our lives. All throughout our lives. But unlike the microwave tests that... Maybe a guy's let's see how much aluminum foil he can put in it before it catches on fire. You know what? You and I can pass the test of life. You and I can pass the test. May I encourage you that even though you might have failed some of these tests, can I encourage you that Jesus Christ still loves you? You might have failed, but Jesus never fails. And he wants you to continue on until you pass these tests. The first test that we come to is in James chapter number 1. Let's read a couple of verses here and then we'll get into it. It says in James 1, it says in verse number 1, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. That means many different temptations, different trials of lives. Knowing this, That the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be entire, wanting nothing. The first test that I want to deal with this morning is this, is a test of trials. The test of trials. And trials can kill just about anybody's spiritual walk with Jesus Christ, amen? I mean, a a pretty hard trial, or sometimes an easy trial, can just about take us out of our walk with Jesus Christ. I don't mean that we lose our salvation. I just mean that we just simply flounder and flake. We kind of just quit following like we ought to. They can kind of just take our wind out of our sails. A hard trial can. It can be something in which we lose faith in, if you will. Uh, they can take a Christian that was on fire for Jesus Christ, soul winning, reading his Bible, loving other people, to just being down and out and in the, in the mully grubs and just totally doubting even maybe the existence of God's grace and goodness. You think that can really happen, preacher? Oh yeah, I think so. In fact, if you turned your Bible over to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke in chapter number 7 in verse number 19 and 20, you would find a man that that happens to. It's not a man that you would think it would happen to. It's not Peter or Paul. It's not uh, Simon. It's not, uh, it's not John. It's not uh, Andrew or Philip. But rather, it's who Jesus calls the man who is the greatest prophet of all time. His name was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist preaches the word of God. He's thrown in jail for preaching God's holy word. And in jail, he sends his disciples to Jesus Christ to ask him a question. And he says in Luke chapter 7 and verse number 19, he says, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? When the men were come, they said unto him, John the Baptist has sent us saying, Art thou that he should come, or look we for another? Here is a man that's facing a difficult trial in his life, and what does he begin to do? He begins to doubt whether or not the message that he was preaching was even true. The message that he was born for, do you realize that? He was born to preach the message of Jesus Christ coming. The Messiah's coming. I'm the forerunner. He's the guy that's talked about in Malachi. He is the main man. He is the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He dies a martyr's death and he's hung up on the placards and the walls all across churches and, and places all around the world and esteemed a man that loved God and served God with all his heart, soul, and mind. But here is a man that came to a place of doubt because of trials. Trials. Calls him to doubt. Caused him to slither back. Caused him to kind of wonder and say, what's happening here? But how are you going to pass the test of trials? How are you and I going to pass this test when even John the Baptist failed? Well, let us learn this very quickly. Is that the passage here says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Also, always understand this that trials are non-negotiable. They're going to happen. They're going to come. And your trial might seem like it's a day, a week, a month, years, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But always remember this, there's always an end to the trial. There's always an end. It might be heaven. But even if your trial lasted 80 years, Let me ask you a question. What is that in respects to eternity? It's nothing. It's nothing. It's a blip on the radar. It is nothing. He says, so how do you overcome trials? How do you not get tangled up in the hurt of them? He says, first of all, be joyful. What? That sounds odd. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. Esteem it all joy. Lift trials up as a joyful event. How can I do that? Because something good is about to happen. That's how. You know, sometimes you hear people that are in the workforce uh out like that are just slaving away all week. I mean, you're pounding out the the hours, you're getting with it, and you often sometimes you'll hear somebody say, Man, T G I F, right? You'll say, Thank God it's Friday. I'm done with this thing. I can head on home. What are they saying? They're saying, you know what, I can look, I, I can I can look at this job and look at what I'm doing and slaving away and say, Okay, everything's going to be all right because I got the weekend ahead of me. Oftentimes, we can see things in a better perspective because something good is going to happen. Something good is on the horizon. May I let you know that you ought to count it all joy when you go through a trial because something good is going to happen? You say, What's good that's going to happen? Guess what you're going to get? You're going to get something. What are you going to get? What am I going to get, preacher? I mean, God's just going to shower me with blessings. I mean, I'm going to get a Porsche or I'm going to get a new house. I'm going to get a new car. I'm going to get, what am I going to get? You're going to get patience. (laughs) Patience. That's what you're going to get. Yeah. He says in verse number 4, he says, knowing this, he says, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Be joyful. Patience is going to come to you. Patience doesn't come in a bottle, and it doesn't get overnighted to you from FedEx, okay? It goes through trials. It goes through trials. Patience is a masterpiece work that takes years to perfect. It takes years to perfect. Say, I don't have years. Well, just let you know you need more patience, right? But it produces something more. Why be joyful through trials? It produces patience. But patience, he says in verse number four, says this, but let patience have her perfect or complete work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Joy, patience, maturity. 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 Patience produces a maturity in life. It makes you complete. Have you ever seen somebody standing in line at the grocery store or somewhere else and is just totally flustered and irritated and mad and upset? I mean, they're throwing things. They're yelling. They're screaming obscenities at the person at the cash register. I mean, they're mad. They're angry. They're upset. I mean, if you didn't know any better, you thought that maybe they'd called their mama a really bad name. But really, they're just impatient people. They're impatient. And when you look at somebody like that from the outside looking in and you're seeing the scene happening, you're thinking to yourself, you really look stupid. I mean, you're flailing around like a three year old, right? What does that express to us? That tells you that person's not a mature person. They're not mature. But whenever we grow in Jesus Christ, a Christian who passes the test of trials will receive joy, patience, and maturity. I've been just hammering this, I know, probably for the last several weeks, but let's just all remember that as in Christ, we are supposed to grow. We're not supposed to be the same yesterday as we are today. The test of trials. There's the test of doubt. Look here at verse number 5. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally. That means without restraint. He giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. That means God doesn't chastise you, spank you, get mad at you if you ask him for wisdom, okay? Okay? He upbraideth not, but giveth to, but he says in verse, number, in verse number five, and it shall be given to him, but let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is as the wave of the sea, driven with the wind of the toss. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So you see here, there's a test of doubt. We have a test of trials, we have a test of doubt, and doubt is a big test that comes to every single one of us. Whether you doubt your salvation, your sincerity in Jesus Christ, your abilities, your courage, your faith in God, whatever it is, all of us, all of us, let me say it again, all of us doubt at certain times in our lives. And we all doubt about different things. Doubt is something that comes to us naturally, okay? But let me read to you what 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 17 says. It says very plainly, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What is that saying in relation to doubt? It's saying this that every single part of our Christian life is a new part. It was natural for us to doubt. That's natural. We're not to be natural anymore. We're to live supernatural. God doesn't want us to live in doubt anymore. Not in doubt of our salvation. Not in doubt of, uh, of our sincerity. Not in doubt of His blessings, His promises, His goodness, His grace, His long-suffering. Don't be in doubt of those things. Yeah, How do I pass the test then? Let me give you some answers. And they're not from me, but they're straight from the Word of God. Don't you lie, whenever the teacher, was you ever happy when the teacher said, all right, we're having a test today, and it's open book. Amen? That was a good test. Hey, you know what? The tests that come from God are open book. They're right here. The answers are here. And the answer to to, to pass the test of doubt is this, is ask God. Ask. And it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. For whosoever asketh shall receive. Whosoever knocketh, whoever seeketh, he shall find. Whosoever knocketh, he says, the door shall be opened unto him. So let us ask God. Just like he says here. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally. Wouldn't it be crazy? And some people do this. But... If you doubted your spouse's love towards you, you would be be crazy to lie in bed every single night doubting her or his love and never saying a word to them. And just lose sleep after night, after night, after night, after night, after night. And wonder, does she love me? Does she love me? And you're counting the, the petals. She loves me not. She does. She loves me not. I mean, you would be crazy to just sit there and wonder and in turmoil. And your stomach is sick and you won't eat. And she's asking you, why don't you talk to me? And what's the problem? And what is the issue? And you're saying, it's everything's okay. Everything's all right. But inside you're wondering. You're doubting. No, the best thing to do is just to talk about it. Just to ask. Just to open up a conversation. You know the best way to fight doubt with God? Talk to God. Ask Him. Seek Him. Knock. He says, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. Ask God for help. Folks, feelings are not fake, but they can be confusing and lead us to irrational decisions. Feelings are not fake, but they can be confusing and lead us to irrational decisions. I knew a preacher one time, actually my pastor growing up, he had these severe doubts of salvation. He was doubting God about this and doubting God about this when he was a teenager. He confessed this to our church one time. It was hilarious, and uh, he said, "I even got to the place, to the point, so bad, I was so confused and I was so doubtful of God, I thought I was the Antichrist." He said, I just had so much doubt in my heart. You see what that did? It brought irrational decisions and thinking into your mind. And that's what doubt does to us. It brings irrationality to us. We begin to think to us, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. God's grace isn't sufficient for me. I mean, I really did bad this time. I mean, I really did this. I shouldn't have done that. I mean, I didn't do this over here. I mean, God's really mad at me this time. And what if I did this? And what if I didn't do that back then? And And our minds begin to wonder when we get, did I say the prayer right? Did I... Whenever, whenever the preacher said, "Say the prayer for salvation," did I say all the words, or, or did I was I supposed to come down to the altar? I mean, or, or was I supposed to get baptized like within three minutes after I got saved? Or, or I mean, I mean, did I, did I, did I, did I? Did I or, but, what did I repent, or did I not? Did I, did I ask God to save me, or did I, did I get Him in my heart? Where's where all these things? We begin to doubt, and we begin to question, and we begin to wonder why in our hearts go to God and seek his help. Hey, if you're struggling with assurance of salvation this morning, one of two things. Most likely, most people that struggle with assurance of salvation are already saved. I've never really known a lost person to struggle with assurance of salvation. Why? They're lost. They're lost. They don't care. Now on some rare occasions, I'm sure there are some lost people out there that are very concerned whether or not they are saved. I can understand that. But if you're sitting here this morning back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth... My friend, let me ask you a simple question. Have you believed upon Jesus Christ that he is the son of God, that he died for your sins, that he rose again the third day? Have you realized that it was your sin that crucified him to the cross and that it is because of your sin that you deserved a penalty in hell forever? And if it had not been for the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ that you would be there, but you in somehow, some fashion, some way, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Like one guy said, all I said to God was, save me. And God saved him. Have you done that? Have you believed? And the promise is yours. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. How do you overcome the fear of doubt, the the test of doubt? Ask God for help, then stand steadfast. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He says here in our, in our text here, he says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Don't think one way and do another. Don't do one thing and say another. If you need wisdom in an area for God, in this area of doubt, then ask God for it. Believe it. If you want assurance of salvation, seek God for it. Don't keep pulling up verse after verse saying, well, this says this and this says that. No, believe God. Stand by his word. And don't be double-minded. Then trust God. Believe him. Believe what he says. Whatever it is in your life, God will give it. God will give it to you if you don't walk away thinking he won't because of X, Y, and Z. Overcome this test of doubt through God's word. Secondly, thirdly, we see here, he says in verse number number 9, it says, Let the brother of low degree... Rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. The third test is one that might seem a little obscure, but it applies to all of us. That's the test of money. The test of money. Money is a tough test, because really it applies to all of us. You say, well, I'm not rich. I wouldn't consider any of us perhaps rich in that sense. But if any of you have been anywhere outside of this country, I can rest assured that you don't live in squalid conditions, that you don't live in abject poverty, I've seen, and and you know it, you know what it looks like, but I've seen it firsthand. I was in Guyana, and while we were in Guyana, we were going door to door, witnessing to people, and uh, I'm not trying to put anybody down or anything, but the houses we were going to were not very nice, okay? All right? No A.C., no running water, open windows, open doors, no windows, no doors, or anything like that, you know. Uh, everything's built up on piers, you know, why do y'all do that? Oh, you know, kind of, they say it cuts down on the snakes and lizards getting in your house. And uh, he said, come on, preacher. He said, I said, he, said, I said, he said, let's go over here to these houses. I said, where are we going? He said, we're going to the ghetto. He said, every town's got its ghetto." And I thought the houses we were going to were a little rough in my estimation. And then we went to the ghetto. And then you really seen what the ghetto was. You know, You know, children running through raw sewage. You know, it just pours right underneath your house, comes out that way. Uh, you know, everybody's lined up next to each other. And then you really begin to see why there is just lots of sexual immorality, lots of women with no idea who who the father is because everybody lives together right beside of each other all over the place. It's just sad. And when you see something like that, you realize we've got it pretty good. Got it pretty good, but even if you're lacking resources, he says here in verse number nine, he says, Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he's exalted. what? How can the slave, how can the slave or a guy that's in abject poverty, maybe somebody does get saved in the ghetto there in Guyana, how could they say, how could he rejoice in that he has been exalted? What does he mean? Romans eight seventeen. he says, he says, "Ye then are heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You have received an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. 1 Peter 1, 3, I'm so glad that, that, jo, that Jonathan sang about heaven this morning, what what a day that will be. The mansions that will await us one day. My friend, understand this. Every single one of us in this room right now are very, very poor in the estimation of what heaven really, really is like. Nobody is like nobody. Nobody is rich in compared to who God is, and the mansions that await for His children one day. Streets of gold that are pure as glass, that are like that are, that are that are clear as crystal. My friend, we don't even have any idea what that looks like. We're looking for a city one day where we're going to go. The tests of money. How do you pass the test of money? Rejoice, even if you're poor and lowly and have nothing. You say, well, if I just had a little bit more, I'd be happy. You see, that's the problem with money. If you just had a little bit more. You know what happens whenever you say, I just had a little bit more? And you get a little bit more? A little bit more. John D. Rockefeller was asked one time, at that time, the richest man in in all the world. They asked him, Mr. Rockefeller, what does it take for a man to be happy? He said, one more dollar. One more dollar. You know what? That's what the world says. Just one more. Just one more. Just one more. Just one more. But if you're rich, and as I've pointed out to you, I think all of us are in some ways rich in comparison to at least the first century Christians and many that are in the world today. Let us rejoice in that we have been humbled, brought low, and have been become as a little child. And that, and that your riches, like the one man, didn't take him to hell. That your riches didn't blind you. That your goods didn't blind you. But rather, God let you overcome those things and let you realize that your riches one day will all burn up. Nobody, pull, or I should say, a hearse has never been pulling a U-Haul, my friend. Okay? Always realize that. You might get buried with King Tut like we were talking the other night, but they're going to find you about 2,000 years later with still your organs and and your gold and your silver and everything else in your tomb, and you ain't going to take any of it with you. How do you pass the test? Rejoice in that you've been exalted. If you're poor, rejoice if you're rich in that you've been brought low and that God did not subject you to say, to, to, to let you go and think that your money was going to get you to heaven. The fourth test, the test of sin. And I could spend all day on this one. In fact, I'm going to open this one back up again tonight. And, uh, and see some more that go along with it. But he says in verse number 12. He says blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life. Which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted. I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. And enticed. And when lust hath conceived it bringeth forth sin. And sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. How do you pass the test of sin? This is a huge test. A huge test. Number one, realize the reward. He says that in verse number 12. He says, blessed is the man. Blessed. Blessed is that person that whenever you endure, tem- that you endure temptation. You know, God gives a blessing whenever you pass the test of sin and temptation. I can remember playing football growing up and I can remember what it was like to be in a close game but the game's coming down to the end if they score they win if you hold them you win. And I can remember that and you hold them and then your team gets the ball for the final seconds. And those final seconds are clicking down, and there's pandemonium on, the, there's excitement on the sideline, but it's still, you have, still haven't won yet, you know? But you can we say, taste the victory. You could taste it. It was there. You're excited. It's almost there. That's what it's like, I tell you, whenever you win the battle against temptation you win the battle and you see yourself coming out on the other side there's excitement there's glory there's happiness there is a peace that settles over your heart to know you know what that that, that the devil over there, he didn't get me this time. That God, Jesus Christ, has given me the power to defeat, to defeat the sins of, the, this, of this world that are coming at me. And that God blesses you for that, my friend. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the one that endures temptation. He says, because you'll receive a crown of life. And that God will even fulfill his promises to you. In verse number At the end of verse 12, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Realize the reward that awaits, but secondly, recognize the progression. See where sin leads you. If I knew a road was going to take me to destruction, would I take it? Would I get on it? If I knew I would die if I drove down that road, would I go down it? Most likely not. Whenever we commit sin, it's spiritual suicide. Spiritual suicide. It hurts us. It hurts the cause of Christ. It weakens our faith. We tear down our testimony. We hurt the name of Jesus. We're digging our own grave. When we sin, we're on a road to destruction. And I hope that this morning we can see that there's a way to pass the test, is realize the blessings, see what God has in store for those that will pass the test, but then recognize the progression that he says, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You say, you think that means I'll literally die if I do something wrong? I don't think that's what it means. Though it could be possible. but what I, what I do believe that it means is this is that whenever you do sin as a Christian, it feels like death. You ever been to a funeral of a loved one? Loneliness, anxiety? No peace inside? It hurts. Whenever we sin, we're just attending our own funerals. It hurts. It's hard on us. It produces anxiety. It goes back to doubt and it gives us doubt and it gives us fears and makes us wonder. It makes us wonder what we should be doing or what we're not doing or if we really believed it. And we go through all of these processes again. If you're in sin this morning, if there's some sin that you have fallen prey to this week, my friend, then if you have failed that test, then may I encourage you, if you're on that road of destruction, there's an exit right up ahead. It's called grace. And if you miss that one, then God's got another exit, it's called mercy. And if you miss that one, he's got another one called long-suffering, and then another one called compassion, and then another one called uh, called forgiveness. And and then if you miss all of those, then, then praise God, he's got one called love. And if you miss all of those, then guess what? It just starts over again. There's another exit called grace. That's God, my friend. And if you've met, if you failed in the test of sin this morning, then don't stay on the road to destruction. You don't have to, because you're not physically dead, though it might feel like you're dead inside. You can take the road to recovery called grace and ask God for forgiveness, just like First John one nine says. If 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 any man uh, ask, if if you, if you have sin in your own heart, that God will forgive you. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Faithful every time and able. And then finally, look at this last test. He says here in verse number 16, Do not err, my beloved brethren, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. You say, what's the Father of lights? That's God. He is the Father of both the sun, the moon, and the stars. And he's going to make an analogy here. He says... The father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He says, God is the father of lights. He's the father of the sun, moon, and stars. But God always shines. The sun has its variableness. The sun has its shadows. The moon is only able to shine as bright as the sun will allow it to do so. The the stars can be clouded over with clouds. But my friend, God can never be clouded over. God can never be, be one that is variable or diluted. Of his own will, begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The final test is the test that I believe is the hardest for us all to pass it's the test of forgetfulness. There's one test the test of sin, the test of doubt, test of trials. All of those may be overcome, but may we be ever so careful to pass the test of forgetfulness that we don't forget God. Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles, chapter number 32, and verse number 31. The Bible says, how be it in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon who were sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land. Listen to this little phrase. God left him to try him that he might know all his heart. Have we forgotten God so much that if he left us, would you even know it? Would we even realize it? Would we have a clue that he was gone? In Hezekiah's case, his riches, his pride, and his success had made him forget God. Made him forget God. This is such a problem for us that in the book of the Law of Moses, he tells us eight different times, don't forget God. Eight times he tells the children of Israel, don't forget the Lord. We get too busy, we become too overconfident, we become too successful, too lazy, bitter, complacent. It becomes full of so many other things that it becomes easy for us to forget the Lord. He tells us what the solution is. How do you pass this test of forgetfulness? It's simple. Realize that every good thing that you have is from God. God has not forgot you. God has always remembered you. God has always been there for you. Remember who gave you everything and then in verse number 18 he says of his own will beget he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That simply means that if you're saved today that you're going to raise up in glory just like he rose up one day. Don't forget it. Remember God. Remember who gave you all things and remember who saved you. Those two things. Simply those two things. How do you pass the test of forgiveness? Remember God. Remember who saved you. Remember who gave you everything. How do you remember God? You're doing it today. You know, that's one of the reasons why we come together as an assembly. To remember God. To get our minds back into the remembrance mode of remembering how good He's been to us. Remembering all the things that He's done for us and how God has been gracious and good to us. That's part of the assembly together is to remember God. But you should remember God every day. That's why you pray before you eat. That's why you pray with your kids. That's why you pray by yourself is to remember God. God, thank you for all you've done. God, thank you for saving me. You say, preacher, I have made a zero on the test. (laughs) I failed every single one of them. Join the club. Amen? Join the losers up here. Join the zeros. Join the class. Because we've all failed on every single one of those tests. But every single one of us, though we have all may have failed, may I encourage you this morning that Jesus never fails. He never fails. And though you and I have failed, though you and I have not been the ones that have been able to pass the test, I'm going to let you know some good news, is that Jesus passed the test, all of them. He never doubted, He never sinned, He never forgot, never did He do any of those things. The worst trials came to Him and He passed with flying colors, by hanging on a tree, with His arms stretched out wide, dying for you. And dying for me. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what test you have failed. Or what test you're failing right now. But my friend Jesus never fails. And he is here today to lift you back up on your feet again. And to forgive you. And to love you. And to care for you. And to say this morning that I love you. I love you. I'm a failure, God. I'm a failure. I know. I still love you. I still love you. The world does not like failures. But you know what? You read these Gospels, and that's all you see Jesus loving on. Failure after failure after... How many times did Peter fail? How many times? Maybe you got a zero today. You know what I say to that? I say, good. You say, good. What I say is this. I say, I'm glad that at least you're willing to humble yourself and admit it. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. You don't have to be a zero. You don't have to keep failing. The answers are in the book. It's an open book test. The tests of life are coming. They're non-negotiable. But if you'll remember... What we've looked at today, that Jesus has given you all things and that he has saved you. You can pass the test. You can pass the test. Father, we're thankful for what you do for us. We're thankful for the love of the word of God that you've bestowed upon us. We pray that, Father, you please will just give us great grace as, Lord, we face these daily tests. And if we have failed, which I'm sure we have, then, Lord, I pray that, Father, we will begin to learn. All I can do today, God, and all I've done today is try to share from your word how to pass the test. I cannot take the test for anybody here. I must pass my own test. But God, all of us need the strength in life and the grace of God to be able to face the trials we face, the doubts we face, the sin we face, and all the rest of them. this is just a short list. May God, you give us the strength. And the grace to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. If God